do what's right. Do what your boss want. Then you do what you want. Every leader that's got in trouble did number three first before number two. fellow leaders and welcome to the military leader podcast where you can find conversations with today's most successful leaders i am andrew stedman and i know that you have a lot of options when it comes to your professional development and i want to thank you for making the military leader podcast a part of it you can find this episode and lots of other leader development content at themilitaryleader.com head on over there hit the big red button subscribe by email if you haven't already and then connect on social media and become part of the leadership conversation that hopefully you are having every day and that you are having with your team every day. Big milestone this week, the podcast crossed 10,000 downloads. Thank you so much for everyone who's been supportive and sharing it with their team and leaving ratings on iTunes. Uh, truly appreciate it. It's been an exciting journey so far. We've heard some, from some great leaders. Brigadier General Kaufman brought some serious insight to the podcast last week. I hope you enjoyed it. And this week is no different. I've got buddy of mine and fellow commander, Lieutenant Colonel Adisa King. Adisa is a commander at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in 132 Cav in the 101st Airborne Division, where he did his time as a major before heading to D.C. for two broadening assignments, one in OCLL and the other in the office of the Secretary of the Army. Adisa is a positive leader. He's motivating and he's not afraid to use his emotional energy to fire up a crowd, which is not something that every leader is comfortable with, but it's something Adisa does very well. So in this chat, we get into his experience in West Point football and we talk about his command and how he uses that emotional energy to reach out and connect with his soldiers and subordinate leaders. And then Adisa shares some of the lessons from mentors that he's had over the course of his career. It's a really good chat. I enjoyed it. I know you will too. Here's my conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Adisa King. Hey, Adisa, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate it. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. I want to take you back to West Point football. What did that prepare you for? What lessons did it give you that would go on and impact you as an infantry officer? We in the Army, we talk about a team. You talk about a brotherhood. You talk about relationships. And it's a point of you do not want to let your brother down. Mm -hmm. You don't want to let anybody down, to include the coach. But more importantly, the guy that's next to you, you, you you're you eating together, you're suffering together. You're, you, it's a lot of pain that goes in there. You you deal with some of the same things when it comes to academics. Um, you do not want to let them down at all. So you're you're going to give you all that's in the workout. That's in the pre-workouts. That's in uh, let's say when you not when you when you even at home. You do not want to do anything that's going to discredit the Army, that is the Army football, and that will kind of put the Army football in a bad light. Um, so you, you take all those different pulls and the fact that you have connective tissue with previous previous Army football players, um, That that's one of the things I took away is, again, it's a relationship and the feeling of I, I cannot let my brother down to my left and right. So when you go into the army, um, you, you see as you get a privilege to do this and you have 40 guys, girls, and you all know, you look to your left and right and say, Hey, I'm giving you a hundred percent. So I expect you to do the same. And that's, 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 that's really what translated, uh, 
for me. So it's a selective program. You know, you, you, you tried out, you worked hard to get there. Uh, do you think that that spirit comes naturally to new soldiers coming into the army, into the army or, or does it incumbent upon leaders to, to foster that? It, it does not come. I don't believe it comes naturally uh, into the army, but you have that soldier who decides, hey, I'm, I'm coming in. He sees something there. Um, but it is up to the leader. It is It is up to some of our indoctrination programs that we have, because, again, what we found out quickly, you know, there's plenty of kids that want to come, of course, to West Point. But there's very few that can come to West Point and play football or, or, do, or do any sport for that matter, because, you know, there's other I mean, we got female athletes, all of them. I mean, they it's a selective because you have to have this certain criteria, that, what we call gates just like any organization. So there was a gate you had to get through. And once you got through that gate, um, you still had to kind of really prove yourself and earn your spot, you know, earn it, yeah. earn it through some hard training. So with soldiers in the army, uh, it's slightly different. Uh, they do have a gate, but they don't really, really understand that camaraderie until they get to their home station unit, you know, yeah, I went through basic training. You know, I did go to basic training uh, when I was at prep school because, uh, again, I went to preparatory school right out of high school. Yeah. Um, but it was not until that four years of, of that, you know, year after year, I'm standing in that same place where you really get that network in the same fashion. You go there and the army a soldier until he gets to his unit where he knows that, hey, I'm part of this unit where it's the 82nd, 101st. Or get even down deeper, that platoon. Those are the guys I go with and the gals I go with all day, every day. PT with, see them out, training, and it's sucking. That's when they really forget. But we had to, as a unit leaders, have to create that. Yeah. How do you do that right off the bat? When you know you think about new soldier, you know, he's 18 years old. He just, you know, he just spent uh, several months in basic training in AIT. He's away from his home. You know, he shows up at a new unit, you know, day one in 132 CAV, what experience should he have? How, how can we capitalize on that opportunity? Well, my star major is big on this one, and, and so of all our, our leaders, even my CG, um, Major General Pappas, and uh, Star Major Sims, um, is when, what happens when you bring guys in, you know, from um, the whole of how does it feel when a guy is at our indoctrination station, which is Kalsu, uh, they're there for about, you know, two weeks to hold, to get indoctrinated into the air, air assault mentality uh, from the PT. So the division's running that or is it brigade thing? Or? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a division. So division, you come in, you're, you check in, man, whether you're an officer, from officer down to soldier level, um, you go, you, you show up there and you're understanding, hey, here are the standards for the air assault, you know, and of course, you know, air assault school, air assault PT, if you're not air assault qualified. So that starts. All right. So you got that part. But when you come while you are there, units have the opportunity to go about and reach you. It's always a good feeling when you sit, just like the little kids sitting, right? <laughs> you're sitting up and you're like, OK, all right, we got the units here and then you you're standing around and your unit doesn't show up to kind of greet you. You're like, what <laughs> right. the hell? Right. You know, so again, it, it, you know, we go down there to see them. That's the first, that's the first one. Even before then, are they getting an email? 
the leaders? Are they hear me reaching out to them? Okay. Are they, are, are they not just me, but uh, my S1? Uh, are they reaching out? That's the first. That's the first. Uh, count of the second. So when they come in, though, do an indoctrination brief. Now, I don't like quote unquote briefs, but they got to hear how I think, how we think and how we want to fight. And really, I get to the point of why they exist. That's it. And once we get the buy in of why, because and that's when you kind of pass them off to the platoons and the, and the troops understanding why does a reconnaissance squadron exist? Yeah, that's important. I heard a great uh, interview with Lou Holtz. I think it was on the Entree Leadership Podcast. And and he says, Lou Holtz said, you know, we bring people on the football team uh, and we tell him, he said, we don't, we're not here to be like you. You come here to be like us. You have to change. This is the way we are. And if you want to be on this team, this is, this is how you're going to be. This is how we perform. This is how we fight. And so that's the rule, you know, so start being like us. Um, yeah, but that, that's important to communicate that, you know, that why. Um, Starting off as an infantry officer, were you able to kind of reach back to your that West Point, maybe that football experience and, and maybe the discipline, the training mindset? You know, what what how, how did you implement that as a platoon leader? Well, see, as a platoon leader, it was for me, I had outstanding NCOs. Uh, of course, that's that's one of the, the things you, you you sometimes have you have there um, at, at West Point uh, is you have some pretty intense and uh, engaging leaders that are interested uh, in your development. And, and I had one uh, as uh, Mass Sergeant Gordon. He was, you know, he was a Ranger Regiment uh, uh, NCO, as well as had another SF NCO and, and, and also a Phil Artillery NCO who really taught me and said, hey, <clears throat> when you become a platoon leader, you first need to listen. Shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Shut up and listen. And then that that entailed of okay, now you have to earn the earn their earn their trust. Where it's okay to ask questions. Cause when they when you ask them questions, they're saying you're saying to them, I don't know everything, but I want to understand how you fight and what you do. And I promise you I'm gonna give you my all. And the same same perspective when we have young guys come in. Instead of them trying to say, hey, look what I did back when I was in high school, because I told them real quick, I don't give a dang. I don't care what you did in high school. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. This is D1 football. Shut up and, and listen. So in that same way, I had I reversed my my concept of when I came in as a PL. And it was for me, it was a different because I did not know that I was even going to graduate until two hours before graduation. So my perspective was like. I don't care where y'all send me. I don't care what it is. I just know this. I'm a second lieutenant and the army has given me opportunity and I'm not finna waste it. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- so my perspective as a lieutenant was like, Hey, they want me to go this way and jump this high. Roger that. Where you want me to go? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> it, I'm always amazed by how much, resonant knowledge is in the NCO core that is, you know, quite frankly, we don't tap into uh, often enough. You know, we kind of focus down on the soldier and what's the status of the soldier. And and we kind of just expect the NCOs to do their thing and to train. But when, you know, when we ask questions, you you know, you get combat experience, you get, you get technical and tactical knowledge uh, that is 
that almost always just impresses what I kind of had in my mind of, of what I think I'd learn. Um, and, and it's really good, you know, coming from a, a, you know, an army here that's spent the last, you know, you know, 13, 14, 15 years at war, you know, that body of knowledge is, is there and it's strong, but you know, it's kind of, I mean, it, it's fading. I mean, we have, you know, the, the, the non-combat uh, patch wearing soldiers are going to start being uh, E6s and E7s here pretty soon. Um, so it's interesting how that's going to affect our army. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because, again, and I share that because we didn't – I didn't deploy until I was a captain. Uh, and that was, you know, 03, oh, well, 05. And, and um, again, it was, it was not unusual yet. And that was only two years after we really started serious two, you know, three years or so after we started serious combat. Um, but now they're cycling back again. So, you know, it's been interesting seeing how this whole SVAP thing comes into play too with our, with our NCOs and, and what are they, you know, are they really worried about what they look like? So mm-hmm. want to get ready to play. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you about culture. Uh, so you're in uh, squadron command now, but, you know, this certainly applies to your company command experience. Um, and honestly, culture, you know, it's every you know, leadership rests on the culture that we set and the influence that we can have. Uh, but, yeah, how did you decide to set the culture for your squadron? I mean, what, what was did you have a vision? What was what was that? And how did you you know approach uh, setting the team when you came into command? See, I, I didn't. You hear the word vision. And the first thing when a soldier, when when leaders here say this vision, um, nothing wrong with that is not is not. I, but when I was shaped, not only as a um, as a company commander in eighty second, but it was really at the field grade, field grade when I was with uh, now Colonel uh, Pat Work. He never talked about a vision. What he did is talked about priorities, because what ends up happening. Let's think about this. CSA has priorities. Does he have a vision or does he have priorities? There's a reason. All right. And then you go down from CSA, go down to 18 Airborne Corps, go down to Forcecom. From Forcecom, you go down to now our CG. From our CG, <laughs> you go down to our brigade. Now, I just said about three or four things. And, and if every one of them has a vision, what the heck are you going to do when you're trying to put, put this all together? So what I decided, uh, again, from my upbringing is working under uh, Colonel Work is, okay, let's set the priorities and make sure that my priorities are in a line with my bosses. So I got it with, with my bosses all the way up so I can it can be consistent and it can stick. Okay. It is, can stick. So, and yeah, go ahead. Is that priorities for activity or effort or is that priorities for like behavior uh, and, and how people perform and interact with each other? This is priorities for everything we do. So to be clear, number one priority I said is training and leader development. Whatever you do in PT, whether you're doing a actual engaging, you know, we talk about hip pocket training, that's training and leader development. PT training and leader development because you're actually showing a young soldier. This is how me as an NCO does it. We do an LPD, you know, so that part to me is, is one of the things I did pick up, um, from, um, I think major general Grigsby, uh, and some other people that I, I listened to and really back to Colonel work is, Hey, leader development is number one priority, but, and I combine that myself. 
So training and lead development is one word and it's continuous. It's continuous. So that right there is self the culture. So if you're doing anything that helps out you in that perspective, okay, you have why occurs with me. And why occurs meaning I'm not going to, I don't have to restrict you now because you're, you're going after these priorities. And, and again, you had to take that. I had to take that, communicate that. And then I sent it to my, uh, my star major. And he looked at it. And now he says, now I got to take initiatives that help push that inculcate that. And, and that, and, and again, he's helped me filling some of those, some of those details from the NCO side. Yeah. <clears throat> That's interesting. Yeah. Cause you hear, you know, almost part of the process at the pre-command course is, you know, I mean, it is a formal process, develop your vision, develop the, uh, you know, this, this big philosophy about who you are, what you're about and how you want to impact the organization. Um, it, it sometimes feels, feels pretty lofty. It doesn't translate to action. Yes. Yes. And, and that's the part where I, I, again, I look at it and I look at what, what our, what the CSA put out there and then what, what the second army put out there at times. Yes. We talk about readiness, but we got to, we got to take that word and, and not make it a fuzzy, buzzy word. Cause again, fuzzy, buzzy words is now, unfortunately what happens is we'll take something and we'll just keep saying it. But then if you go to an E5 and say, what does this mean to you? And what happens, even our leaders, we say, this is readiness. This is readiness. This is readiness. I'm like, okay, then what's the priority? Uh, so you end up with eight different things that now have become a priority versus, okay, you know, there, there's some, in the end, there's some things that we have to do. Got it. No problem. That's, that's understandable. But going back to your original question, how do you set the culture? You actually come in and say, hey, here's the priorities. And make sure those priorities align, uh, align with your boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's the other thing. But, you know, you know, Colonel Work always told me, he said, hey, do what's right. Do what your boss want. Then you do what you want. Every leader that's got in trouble did number three first before number two. Yeah, right. They did what they want before they did. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So that's how I was able to translate that, bring the culture in. Uh, and inculcate that into the, into the culture. That's good. So, so you mentioned readiness. Yeah. What, what is your day when it comes to readiness? I mean, what does it look like to be a ready soldier in the bandits from PT to training to mindset? How are you engaging the formation to keep that drum beat going about readiness? It's very, to me, what, what I, it's very simple. When you say for our troopers, for squadron, and for reconnaissance is that train and fit and discipline and a team that can, that can recon and conduct security without any issues. So if you're not doing anything, if you're not doing anything that's helping you accomplish that mission, then it's useless. So with PT, yes, guess what? You do have to walk. You do have to go longer than anybody else because, again, you're in front of the brigade. I mean, you're in front of the, all the other battalions. See, it's, unfortunately, sometimes we, we think about, hey, you know, what does the squadron do? How does it fight? Fight for information. Okay, let's let's break that down. Guess what? At Warren 02, the entire squadron, at least part of it, has already been ready to go and out. 
So that means you have to move faster. Maybe not in speed, okay? But you have to move faster and longer than everyone else, than all the other infantry battalions. We don't think about that. We just think like, oh, they out there. No, that means you got to move faster and be able to move longer. And then when it comes to equipment, again, you ask me, how do we do this? Well, there's a thing called command maintenance. Just like if you got a bunch of rolling stock and vehicles, if you can't move those vehicles, you're useless to the doggone brigade. So that's how we engage in that. That's how. So from PT wise, you have to push. You have to push guys to say, OK, yes, we got to be able to to run. But then run long distances at times if you need to be able to save your body when it needs to we conserve that energy. My dismounted troop, uh, Charlie troop, again, the guys that go even further out there, uh, smaller elements, you got to be able to carry that load on your back. So one of the things we look at now is, is I call it the four L's. Lethality, legs, lungs, and load. Okay. That's right. a, Say that again. Say that one more time. Lethality, legs, lungs, and load. Whatever we're doing. So, and again, one of the things that, that you, you know, how did I come up with this priorities? Well, again, from engaging and getting the feedback from my troopers and also being able to see where we're doing. And then, of course, Understanding the, the bigger perspective from a strategic and operational, now I'm going to take readiness to where it'll mean something to a trooper, an E5. Whatever you equipment you on, you have to be lethal with it. That including my cooks and my mechanics and my, you know, my docs, as well as my mounted troops and dismounted troops, my HHT, because no one cares if you're a cook. They care that. What I care is, can you shoot? Can you protect yourself? Can you be lethal? Can you be surgical? I call it surgical with that 50 cal. Our fires, exact same thing. Uh, you know, from our fires from the 120s all the way down to the 60s, all the way up to the triple seven. So, again, all those things, when you say that, when I say lethal, now that's giving specific, and I should give specific guidance to my fires, you know, and to the dismounted troops and to the mounted troops, especially with the snipers. So you take that. And if they're doing anything to help them get better with that, I said, that's all I want you to do. That's mounted troops. You be most lethal mounted troop you can be. So anything you're doing to help you be lethal, guess what they're doing? Training and leader development at every point. So that helps them get the ranges, do the right PMI, understand the right, right equipment. So when a new trooper comes in, hey, they see what they they see my priorities because they see on the schedule, on the training schedule, this is where we're spending our time. Yeah, right. That's great. So, what's your what do you see your role? Uh, so personally, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking about your technique, like what you say, the the inflection, the intensity that you bring to the fight. Now, listen, you're pretty mm -hmm. fired. You're a pretty fired up guy. You know, I, I, <laughs> I always love hanging out with you and, and chatting with you. So, do you find that's a role that you need to play in the squadron too? Uh, at times, I do. Um, there's a time when they need that. Um, and again, I get my Sergeant Major's good feedback as well as my field grades. Uh, and then I'll, as, as I engage with my PLs and the platoon sergeants, you know, the, the first sergeants as well, um, I see they need that. And, and therefore, I, I tell them every, every day and every opportunity. I say there's 86,400 seconds in a day. You got to make them count. You have to make them count. 
Now, is that saying that I'm ripping and running every moment? No. Is there time when you need to take a rest so you can get ready to get up and go? Hell yeah. Do that. Okay. Is there times right now <clears throat> where, you know, I'm, I'm reserving my energy? Of course. So where I see myself, I, I do see myself as that, that the, the tone pusher, I guess you want to say. And also what we call uh, you know, another term I picked up is, hey, you got to sometimes let the air out of the tires. You got to let the air, which says, hey, slow down. We're not doing this right. You know, and then when you're able to do that or take ownership, when you say, hey, Jim, I think I did something wrong here. I think I did not. You know, this is I think we're doing too much. Uh, I said, I know I put that on you. And I said, hey, it's on me. And perfect example, we had a gunnery. I did not engage enough in it. So I found out probably at the last, not the last moment, I found out that, guess what? We did not have everything aligned like I thought we did. So therefore, I said, hey, team, don't keep your head down. No, this is on me. But here's what we're going to do. You're going to just focus on one and two. That's it. So everybody, it kind of let the, you know, everybody's like, okay. Yeah, you adjusted priorities. That's it. Exactly. You you adjusted it. And and that's where I I can see that. So um, to get clarity, to get clarity. That's great. Oh, that that reminds me actually. Max Dupree has a uh, you know a fantastic uh, advice. He says the first job of a leader is to define reality. You know, and I think that mm. speaks to the clarity. You know, let the environment or let the soldiers know, let the team know what terrain they're fighting on. You know, wh- where the hills are, where the surges of effort need to be. Um, and incidentally, the rest of that quote is he says the first job of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you, and the rest of the time he's a servant. Yeah, no, it's exactly, exactly. That's how I see it. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, so take so take us to a closeout formation in your squadron <laughs> and one three two cat. What? So I'm a soldier back there. I just arrived. You know, a couple weeks ago. I have no idea what I'm what I'm walking into. It's my first time getting listened to the squadron commander. It's second time because you already did a newcomer's brief with me. Um, you know, but what what are we here? What are you bringing? What do you want to communicate at a closeout formation? Well, first thing, I, I, it depends, of course, what's what we've been doing. Um, and I tell about what I'm seeing. And, and then I talk to them about where we want to go and kind of uh, what they've been doing uh, as a squadron, what we've been doing as a squadron, uh, because we, we've, you know, we've been blessed and we get a chance to, you know, I get a chance to see these troopers every day and and. That's the other part. You get to see them every day and, and hear their stories. And when you sign in documents are uh, 4187s and, you know, everything from a baby orders to um, to guys who are getting ready to go to school, who guys are going to ranger school and, and that it, it 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 can be overwhelmingly humble. You see all these things that are going on and there's some bad things, of course. You know, and that's 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 and we talk about that. So at a close out formation, after everything that I've kind of received, um, I, I kind of mentioned some of the highlights of what the troops have done and what I'm proud to, to get a chance to do, because I tell them I jump out of bed every day, every day, every day, because I know I'm, I have a, a, a chance to serve them. And, and I share that enthusiasm with them. But then when I bring them down close in. 
I tell them, take off the hats. Take off your cover, you know, because every Friday we, we put on the Stetson, baby. We, we, calf, we calf it up. Take off the Stetson, and I look at him, and I said, I don't know where we're going. I don't know when. I don't know if we will, but I know this. I need every one of you all when we do go. Something I tell him, I said, when I need you, I need you. Uh, and that emphasizes to them they have freedom to attack priorities the best way they see fit in doing those priorities, that I trust them. I trust you because if I have to do your job, then I don't need you. But when I need you, I'm going to call you. When I call the mechanics, I say, I need you to come and help me fix this thing up or whatever it is. Uh, and I emphasize that to the to the troops in the closeout formation. And then the second one uh, kind of thing I end up with is uh, I said, when you go out there, you remember who you are and who you are. You know who you are as a person. But you know who you represent. And I look at the colors and look at all the streamers. And I think about you think about the unit that you're with now. You think about us. You think about the ones that went before us. You make sure you don't do anything. Anything that will embarrass not only your name, but that unit embarrass us. So and that's kind of the closeout we do. And then when I do come to the troopers and then uh, the, the final thing, I, I don't know if you've seen it. It's called uh, Tango Foxtrot Delta Whiskey. Uh, we do a kind of a chant. It's a chant. It's a chant we do. And um Tango stands for training ready. Fitness, uh, Foxtrot stands for fitness. Uh, Delta stands for discipline. And then uh, whiskey stands for who you are and whose you are. And so we kind of we, we get into a big old group, put our hands around each other and we start swaying side to side. Yeah. Tango. Yeah. Foxtrot, Delta, whiskey. And they keep going back and forth. And then I break it down the middle and say, hey, can I get two claps on a Ric Flair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that, that's really um, – that's it. That's it. That is a uh, end of the week sometimes uh, uh, squadron formation yeah. uh, that we do. Yeah. You know, Tisa, what I, what I like about that is that if it's, it's authentic to who you are, right? That's your energy that's, that's coming out to the, to the formation. And that's a leadership choice that you made. I mean, you, you, you made sure. a choice to, to be that – for the formation. And some people are comfortable with that. Some people aren't, aren't the, the rah-rah type of guy, you know? And so yeah. have you decided or made a conscience choice to, to let that happen? Or was there any time where you think, man, maybe, maybe this approach to leadership is, a uh, I need to take a different one. Or have you just remained authentic, just true to who you are? So I, I, I bottom line is that I made, I made sure I'm authentic to who I am. Uh, what I do realize is awareness. Not everybody responds to being engaged uh, in, in, in that fashion. So, and, and I just, I just accordingly to ensure that I can how I get the feedback. Um, to be clear, I ensure that we don't confuse enthusiasm with capability. Right. Okay. Right. Which means that I can come down and say, okay, I can, I can identify a person who says, okay, sir, I hear what you're saying, but I, I need something. I'm excited about it, but I may need a different way of engagement. And I do that. So I'll, again, that's in the formation. But then when they are face to face, again, a technique or a tool that I found out is that not everybody responds in kind of a big groups. And I'm okay with that. And the best part about it is I let my leaders know 
I'm okay with that. I'm actually good with that. So therefore I create those opportunities, create the opportunities where I can do one-on-one or, you know, small group sessions uh, where they're not feeling intimidated or more importantly, they can come and say, Hey, Hey, sir, here's what I'm thinking. I don't think this really works for me or any two commanders. I say, guys, you have, you are a commander. The door is always open, always open, which they've used it, uh, used it at times. They sir, you know, this is what I'm thinking. I, I need some help with this. Um, and other thing, Hey, yes, I have a conversation to, to not kind of do the group group all the time. So I get out of my office and I go see them, you know, I go find out where they are. And that's where I, I get the one-on-one at times when they're out in the field and I'm looking at what they're doing and I'm saying, Hey man, you got a minute? Let's talk. Hey, what, what's going on? And, 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 and again, that's where you with the first sergeants, that's with the two sergeants and that's with our E5s uh, and whatnot. So yeah, it's a conscious decision I made to be to myself, but also be engaging um, with giving the troopers what they need from me versus what I want to give from them yeah. to them. Yeah. It sounds like you've got, uh, you've got speeds that you can, you know, different gears that you can switch to depending on you know, the oh, yeah. environment, depending on the, the, the mood that that soldier is in, depending on the training situation. Uh, and oh, yeah, that's, sure. that, that's an emotional specificity. That's an emotional control that I think is really important for younger leaders to understand. Because if, if you react emotionally to everything in this game, it's it's going to be a long ride and a bumpy one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it it can be taxing, too. Though. So that's where you, you find those moments of where you have to say, OK, um, there's times when I, I, I'll close my door so I can I just I need me time or PT. That's 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 my time unless I'm doing something with, with all my troopers or with the with the leaders. That is my time to recollect my thoughts and, and attack some of my, my personal priorities. Definitely. That's great, man. Well, let me, let me ask you about your, your job in DC. Um, and, and you transitioned from your, uh, your operations officer time up to a broadening assignment. And, you know, I, what I want to ask you is to share the experience that you are going into a world that you've never been into before. And, you're about to transition to a big moment in your career. You know, you're selected for a pretty key position. How, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? How did you deal with that? How did you approach it? Um, you know, what was your experience kind of going into that job? I have a difficulty of, cause my experience coming out of, and my field grade experience was very different than what some of the majors are, are going through now. And it's frustrating, um, to see it. Because um, at our time in, in, in you know 2012 and 14 and whatnot, as field grades, we had three years, three years to get our stuff in one sock. Three years versus now they got two, and there's a difference. You know, I had an opportunity to be a battalion XO and a battalion S3 before being selected to be in a brigade S3. That's the experience that I had. So therefore the depth, I wasn't just, you know, wide and thin. I was a little bit of wide, but I had more depth. Had a little bit more gray hair on me or just, uh, just understanding systems of how you communicate down. And then more importantly, with the brigade S3, how do you communicate up? 
because you're now dealing with battalion commanders and squadron commanders. And also you're dealing with division. So you can't do the whole, there's not this whole kind of, you're not doing a rah-rah, but you're more taking what your boss really wants to get after and carrying the mail up. So that experience allowed me to have a little bit more how you engage with a senior leader. And as you tra- take that take that experience, uh, and now I wasn't worried about, you know, of course, you, you know, everybody looks at, hey, man, hopefully I can get this position or whatever. But you still have to perform at that field grade level as a major. After performing there, that kind of translated into now uh, recruiting wise, meaning there's officers or personnel out there saying, hey, they need this type of person to be able to do this job. They need or they believe based off your personality and based off relationships and based how you are, you will be the right fit. And that's how I think one of the was 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 helpful when I did go to D.C. and work in OCLL, where you can have a relationship or you can communicate clearly. <laughs> and, and you can be put in, in an environment where you don't really know and you can, what we say, figure it out. And the only way you figure things out is you understand what the priorities are uh, from your boss. So that, that that experience, again, that's why I say it was it was it's frustrating now seeing how we're trying to push, you know, Phil Grace to have their two years and then give them a broad assignment versus I'm like, no, stay, keep them in the brigade so they can really understand how the thing works because they're fighting it. The majors run it. And, you know, the, and, and the 05s, they command it. And as far as 06 commanded, but the, the, the majors run it. So if they don't have enough, they don't, if they don't have time to really understand it, we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. But sure. that's bigger stuff. So, yeah. yeah but what's, uh, so, so what's one key lesson or, or what's one key trait that a successful, you know, feel great, a successful major should have or display? Hey, no one likes sharp elbows at a dance. Okay. <laughs> no one. I mean, I, listen, I, I can be intense. Uh, again, I, I'll tell myself I, th- th- what I learned is that there's times when to be intense or there's times where it's not. There's time when to say, hey, shut your mouth and listen. And the times where you say, hey, how can I help out? And that's a relationship that you need to be able to have not only with your peers, but also with um, what you, your supervisors as well as your subordinates. Being able to put, you know, have a relationship with someone. And when I say have a relationship, that is being able to communicate with them and ask them about their ideas and not talk about yourself. Right. <laughs> it's not me. I know I know right. right now I'm talking about me, but it, it, it is one of the biggest lessons that I that I that I learned from uh Colonel Work, okay, is that it is time it's the things that he didn't say that he did. He had never and never, and I say he because he never talked about what he did as a captain, what he did as a major, what he did as this. He never framed it that way. Never. And I and that right there told me, guess what? No one, I mean, got it. Everyone is, when you get up there, up to D.C. and in that area, there's some great officers there. There, I mean, there's some great NCOs there. Everyone has done something that's pretty doggone, probably even better than what you've done. It's just like when you came as a freshman from out of high school up to the football team. 
guess what? You're a D1 now, bro. You're D1 football. No one gives a damn what you did. I mean, this, this, it's, it's highly interesting, yes, but you're in D1 now. So shut up and learn and bring what you can to the fight. Get in where you can fit in. So that's why I would say that uh, sometimes young leaders just say one thing you can take is being able to have a relationship, you know, being, being a team player and seeing where you can really help out and be very <laughs> cautious of talking about what you used to do and how you used to do things. Because I, 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 you know, it's like, okay, man, but ask more questions and say, hey, how can we do this? And then quietly figure out how you can use that talent that you have to help out the team. And that has helped me with the secretary of the Army being his aide, as well as being in office of chief legislative liaison. Okay, and I said, okay, Lord, how do you guys do this? Okay, how do you do this? And they showed me. I was I was asking questions. And the best part about it. It was captains who just made major. And I was, again, a senior major. I, I didn't care about a report. I cared about learning my job, learning about how they did things. And that's where that's the again. To, that's the lesson that I, that I really took away from there. Um, as you, you kind of, you know, you really spread out to everyone is being in that relationship and don't talk about yourself too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. It, it's been my observation uh, very similarly that it is sometimes tough to get past the rank, the chain of command, this mm. this idea that the person in charge is also the person that is perpetually right. And I, I've, I've had to stop myself plenty of times, you know, in just these, you know, uh, you know, just these six months in command here where I'm about to open my mouth. And I realize, thankfully, I realize and stop and say that I may not have the, the best answer or may not even understand the situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's something that I think are, I think it's easy for us to slip into that all-knowing, yeah. all-powerful role because of, as I mentioned, the rank that you wear and the position that you hold. And it's quite easy to be a yes man in the army. Uh, and it's tough to sure, create sure. a culture that's open for dissent. Yeah. And that, that's, I mean, I'm glad you said that too, good dissent. You know, it, it, it you have to be conscious of it, uh, of your response to when someone disagrees with you. Uh, and I have... <laughs> and that's where, again, I, I said there's one word, one word, one that really encompasses of you really understanding what's going on uh, is awareness. You have to be aware of what you feel. You have to be aware that, hey, you may not be saying this. You have to be aware of, hey, he's dissenting and that's good. Or maybe you are being overpowering. Watch it. Uh, and again, it goes back to that one word I look at is awareness. Are you aware? And unfortunately, sometimes we are not aware. So people ask, well, how do you get aware? Well, first of all, shut your mouth <laughs> or ask a question. And when we say ask a question, it is not saying, well, why are you doing it this way? Again, it's the tone. It's like, OK, hey, can you explain it to me? Uh, how can we do that better? It's the how and the what. Hey, what can we do better? Or how do you do that? Hey, how do you think? How, how are you thinking that way? Show, show me because I'm in, inter, interested in it. And even though inside you, you want to say, what the hell are you talking about? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You have to refrain from that inside voice and say, well, OK, wait a minute. I might not be seeing it right. 
So ask the question. And and that's where you, I mean, man, like you said, there been plenty of times where I'm like, what the, you lost your damn mind? I'm like, well, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. All right. You know what? I see it now. Because again, you get fooled by your own experiences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even so, even if that person's just flat out wrong, they spoke up, you know, if they've got enthusiasm, you can easily, easily tamp that out with just a look, yeah, definitely. you know, you, you, you contort your face a little bit, like what the <laughs> heck are they talking about? And then all of a sudden that, that young officer, that NCO is like, well, wow, the boss just crushed me in front of everybody. That's great. It's so subtle. Leadership can be so subtle. Yes. Yes. And that is, that is very, very true, man. Well, hey, I, Adisa, this is uh, this is fantastic, man. I, I um, it's it's exciting to hear from you. Uh, excited to, for you to, you know, thank you for sharing what you're doing in command uh, to make a difference uh, for the bandits out there at uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I think you've got some really amazing things going on. But I, I, again, Thanks, I appreciate man. your authenticity. I think that's important for you know for for leaders to see. Um, so well, I hope this is helpful, man. Uh, and again, I, I appreciate you kind of setting this whole thing up because uh, it's interesting of how we how we communicate to our leaders or just to each other, because uh, it's difficult at times when, you know, the certain forms that we, we do now. And, and again, there's things out there that work. <laughs> it's, it's just that why are we not using it? Why are we not doing it? So. That's why when I really say I appreciate what you're doing here and kind of you have you leading the way with this is um, it's pretty awesome. And anything I can do to help, man. Yeah, that's great. That's great, buddy. Hey, well, thanks a lot. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us today. All right. Take care, man. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Adisa King. I tell you, that's the kind of positive leader that I know I want to be around. And I think a lot of people want to be around somebody who's motivating and is going to encourage them. So thank you so much, Adisa, for coming on the podcast and sharing your insight with the military leader community. Okay, for next time on the Military Leader Podcast, I'm excited to share a conversation with the first mentor that I ever had in the Army, Brigadier General Retired Marty Schweitzer. General Schweitzer was the commander of 3rd Battalion, 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment in the 82nd Airborne Division back in 2001 when I was a rifle platoon leader. And for those of us who worked for him back then and anyone who has worked for him since, we can attest that... Uh, he is a direct, engaging, passionate leader and probably the best trainer that any of us have ever seen. Uh, the lessons that he imparted back then continue to resonate throughout my life, and I know that anyone who's ever got to work for him can say the same. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you because it's a type of chat that he and I have had many times over the course of my career, and it's just an example of what invested mentorship looks like. Here's a little glimpse of my conversation with Brigadier General Marty Schweitzer. What I am most proud of is the non-commissioned officers in the 82nd because they actually are empowered or were empowered. Uh, and it's demonstrated on the drop zone. Who's in charge? No officers in charge. It's a bunch of sergeants who are making that happen. We have got to continue to invest in and empower our non-commissioned officers because that is our secret sauce, which makes us different than any and every other formation in the world today. We can make decisions at the lowest level because our sergeants are empowered. Uh, we have got to ensure that we continue to invest in that, and that remains a true statement. Look for that conversation next week with Brigadier General Retired Marty Schweitzer. I want to thank you for plugging into the Military Leader Podcast and making it part of your professional development. If you like something you've heard here, be sure to share it with your team and head on over to themilitaryleader.com where you can find this episode and tons of other leader development content. Remember, the views expressed here do not represent the U.S. government. And I want to 
to thank Ilya Ryavsky for composing the music for the military leader. Thanks for listening, and lead well. <laughs>